A Commentary on the Passion According to the Gospel of Matthew Using Bonnie Bowman Thurston's book, Wait, Hear, and Watch We're reading Matthew chapter 27, verses 33 through 40. This first section is Matthew 27, verses 33 through 34. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink, mingled with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. The bitter wine is a feature that is common to all the accounts of Jesus' passion. Sometimes it appears as it is offered on a sponge. In Luke, it is part of the soldier's mockery to offer Jesus vinegar to give the king cheap wine. What was wine doing here at Calvary? Why an image of feasting at the place of death? Perhaps the Roman soldiers brought it along, as we know. It was their custom to drink wine mingled with myrrh. Many believed it was a narcotic offered to ease pain. It has even been suggested that the wealthy women of Jerusalem provided this offering of mercy to fulfill the requirements of Proverb 31, verse 6, Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. Whatever its origin, we note that Jesus does not take the wine. He has told the disciples at the Last Supper, I tell you, I shall not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus remains faithful to his promises. When at the Lord's table we have reflected upon this bitter wine, we have usually associated it with the cup of suffering that our Lord endured for us. Or quite rightly, we have understood it to be the wine of his spilled blood. Here in Matthew, however, we see another possibility, another layer of meaning. Perhaps the wine mingled with gall is an image of compassion in a dark and devilish place. Perhaps it represents the fact that someone had foresight and compassion on sufferers. Set on the table are emblems that assure us we have been considered and provided for. No suffering we might endure is above God's power to ease it. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot cure. The wine set before us, the very lifeblood of Jesus, is the proof of his compassion for us. It is vivid testimony that God's mercy has provided for our sustenance, and that God's Son, has redeemed all the dark circumstances of our life. From Matthew 27, verses 35 through 37. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. After Jesus was nailed to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothing. You can see that in Psalm 22, verse 18. Part of the customary pay of the executioners in the Roman world was the victim's clothes. 
John tells us that Jesus' undergarment was seamless, and so special lots were cast for that piece. Matthew carefully records that the soldiers remained to watch or to guard the dying criminals. He wants to forestall any rumors that Jesus was removed from the cross while still alive. As was customary, the condemned criminals carried signs stating the nature of their crimes. These signs were then affixed to their crosses. The charge Pilate assigns to Jesus is King of the Jews. Perhaps Pilate uses the charge as a chance to sneer at the Jews, or perhaps, since he insists that this title remain, he too confesses the Christ in his own terrible way. John further records that the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, the three major languages of the ancient world. No people or national group is excluded from the knowledge of that charge. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. From the universality of a criminal accusation, the church has expanded to become universal. People of every race and tongue now claim Jesus as their king. As we gather at the table, we remember that this feast is enacted in thousands of places this day. Our Lord is remembered and praised in hundreds of languages. May this feast be for us a symbol of the universality of the church. And may we resolve to do the work of evangelism until every race and nation confesses that Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Matthew chapter 27, reading verses 38 through 40. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. With verse 39, Matthew begins to describe the parade of those who pass by Jesus to mock and hurl insults. The first group is simply those who pass by, the parapairu omonai. The people walking to and from Jerusalem pause to taunt the tortured Jesus. Not unlike many persons casually connected to major decisions, they do not have their facts straight. They cling to the slander of the trial that accused Jesus of blaspheming against the temple. This, as we know, is a misrepresentation of what Jesus actually said. How often are we quick to judge a situation by hearsay or by casual observation? Do we cling to rumor or ferret out the truth? Are we the headwaggers of our own day? Perhaps the next time we are tempted to jeer or deride, this scene of the passion will pass before us. How much it must have heightened Jesus' agony to be unjustly mocked. And what if he had come down from the cross? Who then would have sealed our pardon in blood? The Lord's table can be for us a table of resolve, an altar at which we recovenant ourselves and our motives to God. Let us resolve to become more inquiring and less judgmental.